we've had a lot of conversations on the show about housing and the housing crisis in all its many forms and the way that now it's affecting so many of us. And there's a big focus now on housing for students. I mean, look, we're almost, I hate to say it, we're in the middle of August. Let's say that. Let's be glass half full here. (laughs) But we're almost approaching the time where we start thinking about the new school year and what students are going to do. Where are they going to live? So what are some options? We've talked about room sharing, matching students with uh, elderly people that have a room in their home that might be willing to rent it out. Those maybe could be an option. But what about just going back to this old model of old shared dorm rooms? Where do those stand right now? And what evidence suggests that those might be just the best option for a student's well-being? We're going to get into it right now with our guest, who's the Associate Professor of Urban and Regional Planning at Toronto Metropolitan University, Sheila McCartney. Sheila, thanks so much for making the time. Really appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me. I'm curious what made you want to to dive into this? Is something is this something that you've been focusing on for a while or is this part of the larger conversation that we've been having about housing that's come up in the recent months and years? Uh, well, I am a housing specialist and I'm an architect and urbanist, so I've always been in, interested in housing at many different scales. Uh, and I think the, the marginalized group, let's say, that students are, that they're not typically tracked within the data of a city, they're sort of mm-hmm. deemed as being these people that sort of mysteriously move and are transient, yet we know anecdotally that students very much contribute to the economics and growth of the city, uh, that they are not transient people, that students are actually there all of the time, even though it may not be the exact same students. And so that's what led to my interest. And then also the Toronto Metropolitan University president put out a call in 2017 uh, to address housing. A number of us got together across the four universities uh, with our students and made a proposal back to the project of Student Dwell TO. And then this work that we undertook from that is coming out of that larger project. So there's been so much conversation now, you know, very recently about the need for housing, affordable housing, specifically for students. So what is the current state of student housing options and how is it different from previous years or is it? Are we just talking about it more now? I think we're talking about it more now because we're seeing the really the mental stress that it's making on students to be house poor and to really have to not be able to easily find secure housing. And I think that it's important that as we sort of have an affordability crisis in housing, you know, if students used to rent the basement apartments at people's houses or those one rooms, you know, now there's much more competition for that type of housing, sort of wider outside of student dorms. But, you know, in our, my recent article on student housing with Jimena Rosenwasser, we were talking about the actual student residents because we were noticing a trend that when people were talking about student housing, we were starting to see very um, private apartments come online and yet we knew that socialization was so important to students so I would probably say there's more of a diverse range right now but almost all of the um, housing that is being built now is reflecting the sort of apartment or condo model and really is um, working against what we know historically works to support students' GPA and well-being long-term in their university experience. Yeah, and I want to clarify so we were worried. a little bit. You know, talk, <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I think it's a big issue, and, and certainly one where the alarm bell is ringing loudly now, but, you know, I want to get into what the data suggests in terms of what, you know, shared dorm rooms might mean for students' well-being, but first, let's just go back to what you're talking about, the fact that universities are now entering into these partnerships with 
mm-hmm. marketing companies, developers that are leaning towards now apartment style construction. And you write about that in your article. And I think that's something that's so interesting and maybe an area that gets overlooked if you're not someone who is a student or a parent of a student. So is that something that we're seeing across the board in Canada? Absolutely. Uh, a lot of federal and provincial policies have changed, and we really actually saw it change in the 1990s. And universities were no longer receiving funding uh, for building capital projects of housing. Mm. And so, therefore, most universities actually stopped. And so, you can actually see it in our article. We can see this major dip of construction that there really hasn't been much constructed in housing for students in the last 20 years. And so, what we're actually seeing now is other actors kind of coming in and saying, oh, I'm a developer, I can support that need. There's lots of information out there. Mm. Uh, you know, pre-pandemic, especially people thought of it as an, a recession-proof asset class. Uh, and now people are talking about it as a new real estate asset class. And we have seen this really play out in the UK and the United States. And we can sort of watch what happened there. But most in- institutions in Canada are public. And therefore, we have sort of a different way of looking at this. But still, we're seeing the pressure of developers saying, hey, university, like, I'm an expert at housing people. I can take that off your shoulders. And one of the main things I would say is the message out there is that universities need to stay in the business of housing and providing housing for their students because they have a different experience, a different university experience that is better for their GPA and well-being. And that's been very important that it not only be viewed as a new asset class, but as a place where students are going to live and thrive. Yeah, it's not just about developing housing. It's about taking in, you know, taking into account the the well-being and the mindset of someone who is living campus life. So when we're talking about these developers coming in and entering into these some of these projects, then Sheila, is that is that on campus? Is that off campus? Define a little bit about what those apartment style condo type buildings and dwellings look like. Right. So we only studied ones that are directly affiliated with universities because that's sort of where we can kind of um, where we could draw the line. But anecdotally, I can share that you know a lot. There's a lot of development of developers that are building around universities, um, and in hopes of sort of capturing the students. But there's also resistance. Anecdotally, I can say from universities to say that. Um, they know the risks of actually sort of sending their students directly there. I mean, a lot happens in residence life that actually helps work with students to sort of increase the sociability, but also, for instance, if a student winds up in trouble uh, in their floor, you know, the university life people can move them to another place. Mm. You You know, that's not an option when you've signed up independently, signed a lease. Uh, through a private developer. You, know, you don't have that resident assistant coming around to check in to make sure that you're okay, that you're actually thriving and building better relationships. Yeah, it's maybe more of a bridge then from leaving home life mm-hmm. to then going into a university system. I want to talk a little bit more, Sheila, about what that data suggests in terms of the ways mm-hmm. that students really benefit by shared dorms and why we need to go back to that model. How can we go back to that model? But we have to take a very short break. So let's get into that and we'll come back into this conversation with our guest, the Associate Professor of Urban and Regional Planning for Toronto Metropolitan University, Sheila McCartney. Why are old shared dorms uh, a better option for students? We'll come back with it, into it in three minutes. And having a conversation now about why old shared dorms are a better option than new private student residences. The Toronto Metropolitan University uh, put out a study involving all 41 of Toronto's university residences. And in the past 30 years, these newer residence halls have been stressing privacy, 
over communal spaces. But it turns out communal spaces might actually be better for students. So we're talking about that right now with our guest, who's an associate professor for urban and regional planning at Toronto Metropolitan University, Sheila McCartney. Sheila, talk a little bit about how communal spaces and the data around them suggest that they might just be a better option for students. Well, I think that when students leave their private homes, they're thinking that they would like to have sort of a similar uh, relationship in their house as they would in their, stu- in their student dorm with everything that they need inside of a unit and not have to interact with other people. What they're forgetting about is that the interactions with other people help them build resilient networks that actually lead to higher graduation rates, higher GPA, and higher levels of well-being. And interestingly enough, those rates of when we're talking about the differences in rooms, it means that someone has to leave their bedroom to walk out in the hallway to traverse to go and use a bathroom in another location where they may be beside someone else where they're brushing their teeth. So there needs to be a little bit of uh, negotiation of space with other people. And also they'll be walking by doors of other people's bedrooms and they may be able to put their head in and sort of see someone studying or be able to talk to someone. And even by sharing those small interactions, it means that when they go to the dining hall, they're more likely to sit together. They're more likely to see each other, say, I know that person. And to be able to build those sort of broader networks Mm. um, within their university experience. Whereas in an apartment where you have everything you need with inside the dorm, the only people that you're meeting are the people that are inside of your apartment. But there isn't that interaction, and we call it chance encounters. And that's well proven within the literature to be the number of chance encounters and the more of chance encounters you can have during the day by doing everyday activities like eating, cooking, going to the bathroom uh, really matter. And interestingly, we haven't published it yet, but we're starting to see that it's the going to the bathroom and the walking up and down the hall more often and more frequently, Mm. that that's actually the thing that matters the most in sociability and higher GTA for students. I would think it would also kind of push back naturally against maybe this antisocial tendency that we maybe want to acknowledge or not that's a result of the last couple of years and the pandemic that we're also just coming out of. This is sort of a way to kind of push you into those situations where you're going to you're going to meet somebody no matter what you're not going to you can't avoid it right and I think it's important to note too that traditional residences are residences that have single bedrooms double bedrooms triple bedrooms and sometimes four bedrooms so I'm not ruling out saying that the single you can't have a single room by yourself it's more the fact that you leave that single room on many different occasions throughout the day. So uh, how do we then lean back into this model and encourage universities to to move this way? Well, I think, interestingly enough, we see a lot of information within the news of parents demanding sort of the luxury idea for their students. And of course, you know, everybody wants the best for their child. Uh, in many ways, they think, oh, well, I'll, I'll pay more and then that, that will emulate the experience or I, I want the best for my kids. I'm going to take the... Um, apartment that costs the most and it may be the apartment that it costs the most and I guess we're sort of again what they say sort of raising our hands saying actually that may not be the best thing for your son or daughter or you know your student when they're going out to university that to experience a different living environment that it is these different negotiations that helps the student mature developmentally into the adult that they're going to become Hmm. And so in terms of universities sort of actively staying in the business of student housing and developers to actually make good uh, recommendations and good affiliations with universities, understanding that it's about more than just sort of, you know, people's um, people's heads resting in beds, that they're about whole people and their growth is whole people. But then also parents changing the discussion with their students that are going out to live in these locations to say, you know, 
it's maybe a better way to think about this sort of sociability. You know, there is studies that it isn't ideal situation for everyone, and we're not talking about those individual niche cases where somebody really needs high levels of privacy. But even living in a private room in a traditional residence dorm is significantly better for your GPA and wellness than living in a shared apartment and particularly more than living in an individual room in an apartment by yourself. What about the from the cost perspective? Is this more cost effective? I would say absolutely. You know, we're starting to see shared dorms and shared living spaces as being an area that is much more cost effective. If you think about the building, you know, has sort of one or a few stacks of bathrooms, so everyone doesn't have their own bathroom. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at the same point in time, it also alleviates the students from having to do some of the tough negotiation of like who's going to clean the bathroom. That uh, it's actually sort of handled by sort of residence life, and people can actually focus on the sociability and the studies within it. Mm-hmm. So I would argue that you know 37% of students live in traditional residences right now. It used to be significantly more than that. And when I mean by traditional, I mean traditional style residence of the communal hall. But within that different pieces, we're sort of seeing a shift towards apartments, which we're worried about, especially the effects of well-being and GPA, but also knowing of students to think of that um, if students are demanding this, then people are going to be building it. And so uh, in Canada, there hasn't been a lot of studies yet to say, you know, we have evidence to say that this is really bad for students. And... It's something that's important for us all to look at. Okay. Sheila, thanks so much. Uh, Really appreciate your time this afternoon. Uh, Thanks so much. And yes, if I were to say a message there, to to stay in the business of housing and for people to reconsider the traditional dorms that people say they want privacy, but to think about your GPA and your well-being and that we have evidence to prove that it's much more beneficial for you to live together and share with communal spaces. Thanks so much for having me, Chelsea. Of course. Take care. That's Sheila McCartney, Associate Professor for Urban and Regional Planning out of the Toronto Metropolitan University, talking about old shared dorm rooms being a better model than these apartment-style private residents that are being built around campuses right now for students.